I'm Amy, sex educator, sex and relationship coach, and co-owner of PurePleasureShop.com. I'm April, VP of the cutting-edge sex toy company, Hot Octopus, and I dedicate my life to the business of sex. We are on a mission to teach you how to have hot sex, deep intimacy, and how to make your own rules for who you are as a sexual being. Welcome Welcome to to the Shameless Sex Revolution. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 50% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use code SHAMELESSSEX at purepleasureshop.com. You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our sex podcast collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Well, hello, everyone. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Shameless Sex Podcast. Is it Shameless September yet? Ooh, I love that. Shameless I can't sex- go for that. No, oh, no. no. Yes, I can. What happens <laughs> in Shameless September? A lot of things happen, and if you follow us on Instagram, you will see what, because we are doing a contest, and you could get free sex toys in Who Shameless September. And we made that up, Shameless September, and I think it's going to catch on like wildfire. Trademark. Not wildfires in California, because we want those to stop. Too soon. Wildfires <laughs> wildfire in general. People are evacuating as we speak. And we're yes, not going to talk about that no, today. No, we're not, and we hope Our that they're all safe. Yes, they do. This episode is with Dr. Jana. Jana. I can't even say her last name, but she is an awesome doctor, PhD. Uh, she works, oh, she's a professor, and she's from Macedonia, and she specializes in all kinds of things around human sexuality, but today she's here to talk about non-monogamy. In fact, that's kind of her specialty. She has a lot of expertise in this field, and she teaches at NYU, which is a fantastic accredited university yes. filled with geniuses. Yes, humans. And, and she's pretty hot, too. And aliens. Yeah, and aliens. <laughs> she is hot. She has glasses on. I look she's pretty look smoking. And so this is on non-monogamy, how to open smarter, whether you are a swinger, you're polyamorous, you're in open relationship. You're not, but you want to be. Maybe you just want to go have some casual sex. I don't know. Maybe there will be some things that apply to monogamy on here. Maybe it would just be interesting to you. I was quizzed on this one. Really? I quizzed myself. Oh, yeah, but you did. I was did. like, Dr. Jenna. Let me Can try I to name try all to the types. Yeah. And I missed the most important one that was so easy that Dan Savage coined. You must listen to you find out. You must listen to find out. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, but before we dive into this, so remember, uh, if you all listen, I think it was the beginning of August of this year. This is 2021. It's anal August. And we were on the podcast with Eric Everhart talking about anal. And uh, we were talking about hemorrhoids. I think it was that episode, right? Or wasn't the one after? We were talking about it. Hemorrhoids in the in the intro, okay. asking a call to action for folks that knew something. You know, about a lot of people that have hemorrhoids that have asked me about yeah. that, and I didn't feel comfortable giving them information because we hadn't had a guest talking about that specific topic. People that were interested in having anal sex that have had or dealt with hemorrhoids, which yeah. is a very common thing that we, as as a lot, a lot of, of folks people have, hemorrhoids. have shame around hemorrhoids yeah. too. It's something they don't talk about. So and you want to take the anus off the table? So yes, the anus is a glorious place. So we've received a lot of feedback from people, a couple uh, potential speakers. So there might be a whole episode on this, but we have someone here in California, Doctor Sean. What's up, Doctor Sean? Doctor Sean, I love when doctors are by their first name. Yeah. Unless this is like I want his that last to be name. My doctor. Their last name. Yeah. Um, I think it's his last name. Okay, got it. Um, but and it's, so Dr. Sean sent us this whole little write-up. So just so you know, I narrowed it down because there's a lot of wonderful information, but we are on air and you know every second counts. So uh, if I mess up, I'm sorry, but I did cut out some pieces. We're really appreciative of this, of some really good information. So 
Dr. Sean says, I'm a physician and podcast listener in California, and I love to help shameless sex on hemorrhoids and anal sex. There are two types of hemorrhoids, internal and external, and they have differences that are important medically, some of which I mentioned below. So question number one that people may ask, can anal sex cause hemorrhoids? No, hemorrhoids come from the veins around the anus ballooning, air quotes, out due to increased pressure in the abdomen and pelvic region. Typically, but not always, that is from sitting in long durations, pregnancy, prolonged straining, or similar issues. That sort of pressure is not caused by anal penetration. Question number two. Can a person with hemorrhoids have anal sex? Are you going to keep the thank you number two? Thank you number two. (laughs) So the answer to this. Yes, well, maybe. There's a lot to go through here. First, what caused the hemorrhoids? If they are caused by the typical causes, the risk of significant bleeding is small. However, a less frequent cause of hemorrhoids is liver disease, which may also be associated with problems in the blood clotting cascade. In this situation, bleeding hemorrhoids can actually be dangerous, so knowing why one has them can help to determine whether anal sex is a potentially unsafe activity. Also, if if anyone is on blood thinners for any reason, anal sex with hemorrhoids is not a good idea, as any bleeding could be hard to stop. Second, where are they? External hemorrhoids are easier to see and therefore easier to work around. Internal hemorrhoids are higher up and harder to see, and generally can only be seen by a doctor, and one might not know there is a problem until pain or bleeding occurs. Because of that, some people might choose to avoid the anus until they clear up. (laughs) Finally, how big and painful are the hemorrhoids? The person who owns the butthole, who I like that, should should know where their hemorrhoids are, how big they are, and what makes them hurt. This will require a mere, a minor amount of determination, a moderate amount of flexibility, and a well-lubricated, well-lubricated questing finger for exploration. This way, the owner can really get to know the what, where, and how of their hemorrhoids. Then, the penetrator should also get to know them, too. They should talk with their partner, learn the where, what, and how of their playmates' hemorrhoids, and even go finger spelunking themselves, <laughs> consensually with lube, to really learn what is going on. Also, and lastly, a consistent high-fiber diet can help to keep the hemorrhoids from getting irritated and therefore decrease the likelihood that they will be angry when pushed around during penetration. There's a little more information here, but he also refers to April as Queen Anus, which I, I really like. So, and, and thank you, Dr. Sean. <laughs> Dr. Sean. I will take Queen Anus title anytime. It's a great title. Queen April, a.k.a. Queen Anus. Yes. So if someone has, so what I'm understanding, if someone has hemorrhoids, and they're understanding them. You don't receive pain just from penetration if you have hemorrhoids, or you have to like it's kind not of like learn. a guarantee. So if you yeah. ha- if you just kind of touch them with your finger, that's not going to hurt. It just depends on the the level. There, it sounds like my understanding. Yeah, exactly. What you're saying is the yes, you can have awesome anal sex with with hemorrhoids or or anal sex with hemorrhoids. Get to know them first. Make sure you're on a high fiber diet. Understand the what, where, why, or maybe not why, but how. And then also as a penetrator to understand too. So he's essentially saying learn your body, communicate, use lubrication, probably go High slow as well. High fiber foods. High fiber diet. So and you it, don't have to go eh, and try to get it, those out. And the, it, it's like you, you might be able to work around them. And then also if you have ones that are caused by the liver disease, that could be a bigger issue. Not Don't do it on blood thinners. Um, but he's essentially saying there is a high likelihood you could have a great time with hemorrhoids. But it's really, and so here's the interesting thing. It's about discovering your body and then advocating for it. Uh, isn't that, and he also, I think he did, I cut this part out. He said, isn't that about all uh, anal sex is all about though? Whether you have hemorrhoids or not, or just all sex in general. Let's learn our bodies, what works, what doesn't, what are we like, what are our yeses, what are our noes, and then also advocate for it and then teach our partners about it. Well, I have a really dear friend who is partnered and 
her partner is terrified of hurting her because of her hemorrhoids. And she also feels shame around the look of that. I don't want him to look yeah. at my ass. I don't want him to, because uh, these hemorrhoids, and she's had this, for, this is like genetic, in, or not hereditary, sorry. So it's been passed on. Her mom has the same issue. Actually, her daughter, her young daughter, who is now three, so be almost more four, it, yeah. she already has this issue. And she's always like, my butt hurts, mama. And she's like, okay. So it's like this, this, uh, continuation and she has so much shame and I'm like look I'll get information for you because you can't be the only one and she's super sexual and so it's exciting for me that there are there's data and there's information for folks because if they want to explore their their bum and have anal sex even if you have hemorrhoids now I guess the painful part is important so you're going to have to learn yeah Yeah. learning about it and if it's painful stop what you're doing yeah slow down add more lube do something different don't push through it though that's going to cause more problems for you definitely not and I don't know about this because I know there's surgery and and whatnot and we're not speaking to any of that this is for someone that has hemorrhoids and and thank you Dr. Shauna this is great Dr. Sean that's what I said oh this is Shauna (laughs) no I said thank you Dr. Sean thanks Dr. Sean and Oh yeah, gotcha. Uh, well, I think what I was going to say, I wanted to comment on your friend too, the mm-hmm. shame piece, mm-hmm. and their partner not wanting to hurt them. I, I think with that, it's a little more psychological, right? It's like how can you, uh, you two, explore together and try to unshame the anus, you know? And maybe that's your, you and your partner, like, okay, let's let's do this together. How about you touch my my ass and maybe even where the hemorrhoid is, and I can tell you we can use like a number system when it, when it's too painful or to stop or slow or red light, green light or whatever, and we can learn to make this an okay part to look at and to touch but to get everyone on board for that and I think for the partner who's touching the hemorrhoids or looking at them what can you say to unshame your partner to to actually like be like you know what you have hemorrhoids awesome I still love your ass your ass is still fucking beautiful who cares if there's hemorrhoids there Uh, I mean I care because I'm going to be nice to them but it doesn't make your ass ugly it doesn't make me love you any less doesn't make me not want to pleasure you yeah of course and for folks out there that are dealing with this kind of stuff you're not alone and there are doctors like Dr. Sean and there's probably a lot more plethora of information that will help you and guide you through uh, having the amount of sex that you want anally yep uh, even if you have hemorrhoids so mm-hmm. go and explore and the Queen Anus will be here Queen all Anus, night. Also known as April. April. So Queen Anus, you know what else I want to explore? Oh, my what? desire. Duh. I always explore that, though. But actually, I don't always explore that. But one of the ways I like to explore that is with Dipsy. Y'all heard us talk about Dipsy before. We love it. Let me tell you why I love it. So it's an app that you can listen to on your phone, on your uh, devices. And it's erotic short stories that you can listen to anywhere, anytime to get turned on. You could be walking down the street in, you know, the biggest shopping area of your city and you could be getting turned on. No one knows who you're listening to. I love it for myself because I want to get in my turn on and I want to be in control of that. I have uh, with lots of listeners here. Also, a lot of clients that absolutely love this. There's some really awesome, sexy stories and they change them every week every single week Mm -hmm. so if you're bored if you get bored like you know me amy oh she likes new and spicy and you know how i have to have some sort of soundscape soundscape or sleep story when i go to bed so dipsy actually offers not only erotic stories but you have wellness sessions sensual bedtime stories which that's sexy and soundscape so i can drift off and relax right before i go to sleep and for our listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash shameless. That's a 30-day free trial when you go to dipsea stories.com slash shameless. 
dipsystories.com slash shameless. <sighs> I can't wait to listen to my Dipsy tonight. Oh. Are you ready for some testimonials? Yes. Or just it's one. Testy time. It's testy a good time? One. Is it testy time? It's testy time. <laughs> <laughs> testimonial time. Testimonial time. All right. You saved my life. My I- sex life. Oh, but I had, sorry, I don't know, we may have saved their life too. Thank you. That's a good question. <laughs> that just that was a Freudian slip right there. You saved my sex life. <laughs> oh. I have been an SSRI since my son was 15 months old. He's now five and a half, and it hurt my sex drive majorly. After fighting through postpartum anxiety, starting meds, and then going through two of the hardest years of our marriage, my hubby and I were finally rebuilding everything on an emotional level, but our sex life was still lacking. I distinctly remember the nights I would lay there saying to myself, he'll be fine, I'm too tired, and falling asleep. He would get so angry at me because it was, ti- because it was a tired and unfair excuse for years. After listening to your episode where you said, you're busy? How about we're all busy? You gotta make time for sex. Stop making excuses as to why you can't. I had a major wake-up call. If I continued to live in the narrative that sex was a chore or something to have to do, I would never allow myself to fully enjoy that intimacy with my partner. And it's important to both of us. So thank you for being the blunt, tough love. I also listened to your episodes on anal, and we were able to do it successfully and pain-free, and it was so incredible. My hubby found it super sexy that I took the time to prepare myself ahead of time with a butt plug, and the suspense for me was super erotic. In parentheses, I wore it while we grocery shopped, and I wanted to do him the whole time we were there. Oh, yeah. parentheses. That's amazing. Oh, my God, I love this person. Oh, that was the end of the quote. That I love That was awesome, the testimonial. Thank you. Thank you, listener. Oh, I like, I didn't read that before. I'm going to look at everyone differently in the grocery store now. I am too. <laughs> I'm going to be like, and you have a butt plug yeah. in. And you might. Oh, that's so hot though. How yeah. hot is it to wear? I'm so happy that people are taking your advice and it's actually working. They're taking our advice and they're like, wow. Yeah. You know, and we weren't like, you know, you, it's not okay to be tired and not want sex. And like, you just, you have to have sex. Of course, that's not what we say because we're, 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 I will chain you through my bed. No, we're all about honoring your yeses and your noes. But I think that we get in this uh, cycle of being disconnected from our sex drive and then like, oh, it's fine. And I, I'll go on Facebook or Instagram, but I don't have time for sex. And um, so something along those lines. And I also just love that this person, I love what they said, though, that uh, I would if I if I kept up this way, I would never allow myself to fully enjoy that inti- intimacy with my partner. And it's important to both of us. Like it was already it was available. I was just stuck in this this pattern that made it so that I couldn't actually see that that there was some really good pleasure there. And I, good I, connection. I, w- I want to give a shout out to th- this. This pattern still happens to me. Oh, me too. I get super and I don't like to say lazy or lethargic, but I get into this like, no, I just don't want to be touched. Right now. I'm like too stressed out. I'm just, I, I did too much. You don't even fucking understand what I did today. Do you know how much stuff I did today? And then it's like, I don't want. And then once I'm like, whoa, 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 April. Everybody's busy. Like, like yeah. we've been saying, everybody's going through their stuff. And and I don't even have children. So folks that have kids, it can't be easier if you're running companies, you have children or you're stressed out or depressed or, or SSRIs grieving or, or grieving. Yeah, yeah uh-huh. there's so and, and, and it's about taking 
the moment to drop in and really caring about your partner if you if especially if there's desire there. Doesn't mean you have to have penetrative sex too. No. You can still have sexual connection. Yeah, there Doesn't can mean just that be it has touch to be, yeah. or just like dropping in. So or some good old oral. But I just wanted everyone to know that it still happens to me, even though I know yeah. this information and I find myself getting stuck in my own shit. And then I'm like, April, come yeah. on, come on. Sometimes we have to check ourselves as well over here at Shameless Sex. And everyone, I don't know what butt plug this person used, but <laughs> if you want an awesome butt plug, it's still anal August. You can go to sh- to uh, not Shameless Sex website. Well, you could. There's a link there but go to purepleasure.com purepleasure shop god i don't even know my own website with my mom i own the store with my mom we've owned it for a long time purepleasureshop.com you get 15 percent off with the coupon code shameless sex and go in the butt plug section and you too could have all kinds of fun in the grocery store and you can have an orgasm anally and you could have an anus are you ready for dr jana's yeah bio? i love the way you say her name dr jana phd is an NYC-based sex and relationships consultant, speaker, and writer helping sexually adventurous individuals and couples live authentic, healthy, and ethical lives. She holds a PhD in developmental psychology from Cornell University, teaches human sexuality courses at NYU, and hosts the Global Uncensored Conversation series. Her new online course, Open Smarter, helps people make smarter decisions about their relationship choices using their unique relationship personality. Join her weekly conversations on Instagram via at Dr. Jana, and I'll spell it for you. It's at D-R-Z-H-A-N-A, or visit her at drjana.com. Same spelling, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A, but first... This podcast was made possible by Uberlube. It's a luxurious silicone lubricant that enhances sex and intimacy. We receive emails from listeners who have tried Uberlube, and the feedback is unanimous. We never knew lube could be this good. It's also less likely to throw off the pH than most other lubes, and there are thousands of doctors recommending Uberlube to their patients, whether they want to make their hot sex even hotter or for folks experiencing dryness. Uberlube is without a doubt my favorite lube. It has no flavor, no scent, and feels absolutely amazing on my body. And it isn't just for sex. I use it to tame my hair frizzies, to prevent chafing, and I even put some in my mouth before an oral sex session. Totally ups my blowjob game. Oh, and the bottle, it's beautiful. It looks like a cosmetic product. So I just leave it out on my nightstand totally shamelessly. To learn why we think it's the best lube on the planet, check out uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off plus free shipping. Again, that's uberlube.com and use code SHAMELESSSEX for 10% off and free shipping. Go check it out. Now back to the show. All right, everyone, it is interview time. We are here with Dr. Jana, spelled Z-H-A-N-A, not Zahana. Jana, and we're here to talk about non-monogamy and how to open smarter. What is that, you ask? Well, you shall learn more. So let's dive on in. And Dr. Jana, first of all, thank you for being with us at Shameless Sex. You're a podcaster yourself, so this is going to be easy and fun. Welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to finally be here. Yay, we're so happy to have you. And we have a mutual friend that we were talking about. Mutual friend's probably not listening, but hey, mutual friend, if you listen to us, thanks for the intro. Uh, and Many years ago. Many, many years ago. Yes, a <laughs> long time ago. And let's just start with the same, uh, it's a prompt, it's not a question, that we always start with with all of our guests. Can you please tell us how you got to where you are today? I guess it is a question. Can you please tell us how you got to where you are today in the field of sexuality? Sure. It's, uh, well, it depends on how deep you want to go, but... It, we like deep. <laughs> <laughs> 
I guess it started with me just being a super highly sexual kid from as long as I can remember, and then a teenager, and then I started undergrad. I did uh, my BA in psych back in Macedonia, where I'm from. And then at the end of that, I kind of always knew I wanted to do a PhD, that that was my future. I had a father who was a professor at the university. I kind of knew that lifestyle of a professor and PhD. And I loved science. I wanted to be a scientist. And so I knew I was going to do a PhD. But then after undergrad, I was like, okay, what should that be in? What area should it be in? And I kind of asked myself, what is the one topic that's going to probably keep my interest for the rest of my life? Because kind of once you do a PhD on that, you're sort of relatively stuck with it. I mean, not necessarily. I guess you could pivot. But then you have like six, seven years of your life that you wasted for no reason. And I didn't want to do that. And I was like, is there something that's going to that that is likely to keep my interest for the rest of my life? And I was like, yeah, obviously sex. Like, Mm. of course. And because it had been such a big part of my own life. I was fairly non-traditional in my own desires and interests from a pretty early age. I was curious about all the things that you're not supposed to be curious about, especially as a girl in a fairly conservative kind of patriarchal culture, casual sex, group sex, non-monogamy, kink, non-heterosexuality, like all all of those things. And so I was really interested in how kind of having felt all the stigma that comes with that, having felt all of the challenges in terms of how you stay safe physically, emotionally, how you find like love and belonging and friendships and all of that while being kind of a, a, a wild one or existing kind of on the, uh, the margins. And I was, so I was very curious in understanding how people who are kind of on the margins of what's acceptable in society, sexually speaking, how do we navigate that? How do we figure out how to live our lives that are authentic to who we are, our desires and needs, and still maintain physical, sexual, emotional, mental health? And that's kind of how I ended up going to do a PhD at Cornell, which was in developmental psychology, but I specifically worked with someone and specialized in sexuality. I did a lot a lot of research on sexual orientation, on casual sex, on promiscuity and non-monogamy. And then once I got that PhD done, I realized I'm not sure I want to go into full tenure track academia. I, I always thought I was going to be like a full-time professor and just kind of stay in academia and follow with my uh, my father's footsteps in a way. But then at the toward the end of my PhD, one of my papers I think on promiscuity got picked up by the media and it kind of spread all over the world. You know, everybody covered it. And then I spent the entire month doing interviews and podcasts and written interviews and all sorts of things talking about the topic. And I was like, oh, wow, there is so much interest in sexuality research among non-researchers out there in the general population. And I was like, I think maybe that's what I want to do a bit more of, kind of talk to the general audiences help translate some of the research because oftentimes journalists are not the greatest at understanding the research and then being able to translate it in a way that makes sense to regular non-scientist people. And so I kind of decided I wanted to do a little bit of that. And so I, I crafted, decided to craft this career that is a mix and match of a lot of different things. So I, after my PhD, I started teaching 
human sexuality classes at NYU as an adjunct professor, not as a full-time professor, and I've been doing that ever since. <clears throat> but I only teach like one or two classes a semester. And then I do writing and speaking and podcasting and consulting private clients and you know, doing all sorts of different things. Yeah, and all of that in service of helping people, especially people who are on that more sexually adventurous end of the spectrum, how to live lives that are authentic to who they are and also safe, pleasurable and ethical for themselves and everybody else involved. Yeah, you have some credentials. <laughs> I like that. It's like a novel of, of your experience and expertise. So I'm really excited to talk about this topic because non-monogamy is something that a lot of folks are curious about. And uh, the majority of people that do it right can be a good experience. And uh, that's why we want to talk to you. And first, I think if you can give some stats around non-monogamy and talk about how common it is or is not, that would be a great way to start. Yeah, non-monogamy is such an interesting topic. And it, in fact, it's something that I've been working on more and more lately. And I have an online course that specifically kind of helps people figure out what are the right relationship types for them. Is non-monogamy for them? Is maybe monogamy a better fit using kind of people's relationship personality? And it's, we're seeing more and more curiosity about that. So in the last maybe five years or so, the data that we have at the moment on nationally representative samples in the published literature is something along the lines of maybe about 5% of people who are in relationships are in some form of a consensually non-monogamous relationship. Although there's some non-academically published data from like YouGov that has been polling Americans for the last couple of years, finding that something like 30 to 40% of Americans say that some type of non-monogamy is their ideal scenario, is their ideal relationship type. And so I think there is this increasing interest and curiosity around some of these relationship styles. And some of the other research is showing that if you kind of look at people, uh, singles, and ask them, have you ever had some sort of an open relationship? So not currently are you in one, but have you ever had one? About a fifth or 20% say that they have so it's, it's not the predominant, certainly, form of relating for most people, but it is something that is a, at least a sizable mi minority, if not a very sizable minority of people. And why, so what is, in your, in your expert opinion, why do you think that number, I guess, might be growing? Or what's really interesting to me is there's 5% that are doing it and like 30% that want to do it and, and, and are not. So there's probably a lot of reasons why they're not stepping into that or experiencing that. But so why do you think people are choosing uh, to, to practice, to live, to relate in a way that is non-monogamous? Lots of different reasons that are driving different people, obviously. The more, most common ones are our desire for kind of sexual novelty and adventure and excitement, which often requires more than one person. And that's something that humans kind of differ on. It's a spectrum from people being very low on it to very high on it. And so people who have anywhere from like moderate to high levels of sexual novelty seeking, adventurousness, all that, that 
that is kind of a the non-monogamous version of having relationships is what is most authentic to those folks because you just could not get all of those sexual needs met in long-term, complete, strict monogamy. So that's that's certainly one. Uh, and, you know, people who are curious and interested in, like, casual sex and group sex or people who might be attracted to multiple genders. So some desires, sexual or romantic desires that someone might have that cannot be met by any one person, right, that you need at least another person to get them met. And then for a lot of people, non-monogamy is a way to supplement some of their needs and desires that, I mean, ideally or, or not ideally, but um, that could theoretically be met by one person, but they just happen to be partnered with someone who cannot meet those needs for whatever reason, right? So you get often couples where there is discrepancy in sex drive, where one person wants to have a lot more sex than the other person, or discrepancy in the kind of sex that they might be interested in having. One person might be kinky, the other one might not be kinky or something like that. And so opening up can be a way to get some of those additional needs met. A lot of people also talk about the kind of sense of freedom and openness and dependence that open relationships or various types of non-monogamy can give them and opportunities to grow both as a person and as a unit because with different people you can kind of experience different parts of yourself, you can expand in different ways and and also having some of those conversations around opening up and managing that openness once you do open up can often create a lot of opportunities for relationship growth within the initial relationship in terms of the communication, in terms of the needs that people have and what's being met, what's not being met, how that can be done better. And so there are a lot of benefits that uh, people will talk about as a as a result of of opening up in that regard as well okay so this next question because there are i I want to ask you the question but i want to quiz myself (laughs) because i want to be the teacher's pet because dr janna is a professor (laughs) so talking about what are some of the non-monogamous relationship styles and what do they each entail can i can i see if i know some of them this is fine all right okay (laughs) yay thank you okay so there's open so there's polyamory, there's swinging, relationship anarchy. I'm not reading this, people, from anything except my brain She's right looking now. up at the sky. I'm looking mm-hmm. up at the sky. Um, <laughs> then there's, um, oh, wait, oh, what else? No, okay, I got it. Well, no, there's one more I'm missing, and it's right there. <laughs> I mean, there are a the lot more, honestly, if you <laughs> yeah. go into the <laughs> okay, nitty-gritty <good>. <laughs> of it. You know, there is, when, whenever I teach or talk about the relationship types and the options out there. There's this famous graph by poly activist Franklin Vo, who created, you should look it up, folks, <laughs> look it up on Google. And there are so many different options. Like he created all of these different ones and how they overlap and what they mean and the different meanings that they might have. And it's, uh, it's like, oh my Lord, how do I even start to make sense of any of this? Because there's so many different like subtypes and sub subtypes and, 
you know, gray areas and overlaps. But uh, those are some of the main ones. I would so I got like a C, you're saying? <laughs> I, I would do that well, I think like a B plus. Oh, Ooh, yay, now you would have to define them correctly to oh, get an A, right? Well, but, good you know, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think probably the one that you didn't mention, which I personally think, I mean, it's not just me personally thinking, I have... I think data to to back it up to some extent that the most common form of non-monogamy of consensual non-monogamy that would be a good fit for most humans is none of these is not poly is not swinging is not open relationships and it's certainly not relationship anarchy it's monogamish. Mm-hmm. Is that Dan Savage? Did, Did he make that Savage? one? Yes. Yeah, we love, yeah. We love he that. he came up with it initially, and you know he talked about that in the context of gay male relationships where where typically it would it would refer to a couple that is romantically you know together kind of they are the couple unit the romantic and sexual unit and they would be romantically exclusive so they wouldn't be dating other people right so it's not polyamory you don't have these ongoing serious relationships with multiple people but occasionally you might play together with someone else. So you, you might do the occasional threesome or the occasional foursome or something like that. And that's one version of monogamish. In, <laughs> I know for, for a lot of straight folks, that sounds a little too open. You know, that almost sounds like swinging. And depending on how often you do it, you could call that swinging, right? Because sw- what swinging really is, is a relationship type is a relationship where there's a very strong emphasis on the couple, on two people being the main relational unit. Very often they might be married, have children, living together and all that. And they would sometimes or more often have other more casual sexual experiences that they usually do together. So they might go to play parties or other events like cruises or conventions or other, you know, vacation spots or whatever and have, you know, a night of casual fun with uh, with other people. And so that is swinging. Now, the monogamish version, can it's kind of a range. So it could be a lot less than actually having a full threesome. So it could be, I don't know, maybe we occasionally make out with other people. And that's it, you know, not do anything more than just making out. Or maybe we give each other a hall pass once a year if you're traveling and you happen to have a one night stand with someone while you're traveling that's not going to be brought home, that's not going to turn into anything more serious, right? That it's not going to affect our relationship dynamic in a meaningful way, then maybe that's okay kind of thing. Um, And if you think about the what I was talking about earlier about that sexual novelty, about the need for adventure, sexual uh, sexual variety, and uh, some of those interests in things like casual sex or group sex or whatever, most people are somewhere in the middle. They're not super low on that, but they're not super high on it either. They're somewhere in the middle in terms of how much they need that or how frequently they need that or how far they need to go or with how many different people they need to experience all of those things. And so just kind of taking that as a human kind of reality, most people would probably find themselves happiest if they could have 
this fairly stable, committed type of relationship with one person and had some freedom or openness a little bit to get a little extra on the side here and there. Hmm. So you're saying most people who are in or already in some sort of non-monogamy world, or do you think most people in general would be happier? this? Oh, I think most people in general, period. Ooh, Yeah. yeah, I like that. I actually... Agree with that entirely. Too. <laughs> too. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think that a lot of people uh, are still stuck in the idea that we should only be attracted to one person or, you know, we get married, we stay with them forever or we only have eyes for them. It's wrong to want to fuck or, um, you know, drool over someone else. And um, I, I think that you can do what you want to do with it. Right. It's a lot of you don't have to act on it. Right. But it's very normal. I'm doing air, oh, I'll do air quotes. Now. I wasn't. But now I am. <laughs> I say that all the time. She's like, you're not really doing air quotes. I mean, I am in my brain. Um, it's to it's normal to have desire for other people. If you're with someone for 60 years, you're probably going to want to look at or fuck someone else at some point. Doesn't mean you have to have sex with them. And like Esther Perel says, you one partner is not necessarily capable of fulfilling every single desire yeah. or expectation and sometimes getting outside the relationship yeah. is the way to go as long as it's yeah. done with integrity and with some um some well yeah and the rules. and the other category that wasn't in here too which because you, you're saying ethical nominal is cheating how often is that shit happening right. exactly <laughs> yeah and the yeah. data on that are yeah. Actually, they're kind of all over the place. It's, that it's remarkably difficult to get accurate and reliable data on infidelity because it really depends on how it's defined and difference that is defined differently. And like, are we talking about just the current relationship that you've cheated on or have you is the question, have you ever cheated on a partner? And then what exactly does cheating mean? So it's mm. with all of those caveats, we have the data is that around... 25% of people have cheated on their spouse, up something like that, maybe 20 to 25. There's some gender differences, especially in the older generation. The younger generations are catching up. So men and women seem to be cheating at the same rate or at similar rates in the younger generation, even though men were more likely to cheat in the older generations than women were. And then about 50% or so have cheated on a dating partner. Mm-hmm. All right. So fewer people are likely to cheat on a spouse than on a dating partner, because that usually is a more committed, more serious relationship. At the same time, often marriages last longer. So we have more time because the longer you are with someone, the more the chances that you will cheat at one point. So uh, over over time, more people might cheat within a marriage as well. But yeah, so exactly. And if you look at most of those cheating types of relationships, whether married or not, they would fall into the monogamish category. It's just that they're not consensual. They're not done in an ethical way. But in terms of what kinds of what kinds of relationships people have with these extra marital or extra dyadic partners, typically those would be more casual ones. I mean, of course, some people will have ongoing affairs with multiple, you know, with two people or something like that, which would resemble more of the polyamory uh, type of relationship where you're having multiple serious romantic ongoing relationships with more than one person. But the majority of cheating I guess, uh, experiences or interactions would fall under that more casual context that if it was done consensually and ethically would kind of fall under the monogamish category, which is exactly why I think monogamish is the category, the type of relationship that is 
probably most uh, better best fit for our natures, for our personalities. And then on the higher end of that, the people who are kind of more non-monogamous than most would thrive in one of those, you know, more open versions. So polyamory is one, as I said, that's about having multiple romantic relationships with, uh, you know, multiple people. And that category has, oh my God, dozens, maybe more than dozens subcategories, you know, hierarchical poly, non-hierarchical poly, triads, V's, W's, Z's, mm-hmm. <laughs> polycules of different kinds, uh, yeah, there's solo poly for people who don't actually want to have any primary partners. So none of the relationships is at a level of a primary. They're sort of their own primary. Then there's relationship anarchy where people might n- not really prior try not to prioritize any any relationships over any others in the traditional sense that uh, that we think of. Um, but I would say those are probably. You know, fewer. That's a smaller group of of people who one is interested in having those types of relationships and two capable of doing them without destroying everything in in their wake. Because some of these things can be fairly challenging to navigate and require a fair amount of time and resources and emotional kind of labor and psychological skill in order to navigate them in a way that's kind of healthy and and safe and ethical and uh yeah okay time for a quick break this podcast was made possible by foria one of our top tips for good sex is get out of your head and into your body and that can be way harder than it sounds but what if i told you we have something that may help you do just that that's why we love foria they have created a line of plant-based organic and sustainably sourced intimacy products that wakes up your genital senses Foria is for real, y'all, at enhancing my arousal, pleasure, and relaxation. I used Foria's intimacy suppository with CBD the other night and was amazed at how good my pussy felt. Penetration was enhanced and my arousal was heightened. Foria is like a vacation for your vagina. And it's not just Chip who loves Foria. There are so many vagina owners and lovers dishing out praise for what these products can do. People are popping off O's left and right and testifying that they can't live without it. And look, y'all, about 75% of vulva owners experience sexual pain or discomfort during sex. It's time to nurture your pussy's inner well-being by getting that glow inside and out with Foria because Foria is offering a special deal to our listeners. Get 20% off your first order by visiting foriawellness.com shameless or use code shameless at checkout. That's F-O-R-I-A wellness.com forward slash shameless for 20% off your first order. I recommend trying their arousal oil. You'll thank me later. Go check it out. This podcast was also made possible by OMGS.com. OMGS is a research-based online program that teaches you all about how to pleasure the pussy. OMGS studied thousands of vulva owners to find out how they orgasm and then made beautiful animated modules and super honest short videos to give you ways to reach even more pleasure. 
I've been recommending OMGS to my clients for years and it's been changing their lives. We all know pleasure is fluid and ever-changing, so why not add more tools to your pleasure tool belt? OMGS is for everyone. So whether you are a vulva owner or you just love vulvas, OMGS will give you the techniques to get your O face on. There are two seasons to choose from and hundreds of gorgeous videos to explore. So go see what science says about pleasure and visit omgs.com slash shameless. That's omgs.com slash shameless to get $5 off your OMGS access. Again, omgs.com slash shameless. Go check it out. Now back to the show. So, and so how does someone choose? And how is it? Is there <laughs> is there some sort of system, or what do you think? How 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 would they know which style is right for them? It's a great question. I have an entire online course on that. That's why, of course. Yeah, I start, and the course starts with our personality, our unique relationship personality, because some of these things are relatively stable sort of existing patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving that we have developed over time that's a mix of our genetics, our biology, and then how that biology interacted with our experiences that we had after conception to kind of create the person that we are. So just like some of us are more extroverted versus introverted, right? Some of us are kind of more monogamous and more non-monogamous, or some of us are more jealous Others are less jealous. Some of us have better emotional regulation strategies than other people. Some of us are more assertive than other people. Some of us have a lot higher tolerance for sexual risk-taking and are a lot less you know, phased by things like STIs. Other people are much more cautious and uh, kind of worried about some of those things. Some of us are much more likely to worry about the social stigma that might go with some of these non-traditional relationship styles, others might be in a much better position to not care about that. So depending on some of these factors that are internal and then depending on some of the external factors too and constraints that we have in terms of, well, who's our partner and what, if we already have a partner, right, are they on board? You know, what is their personality and what would be the best version of relationship for them? And then is there overlap or can we find some sort of compromise and overlap? So it's a, it's an interesting puzzle to solve. And some of it will be trial and error. It's not like there is a 100% certain, you know, way of telling, oh, this is going to be great for you and forever and ever. Those things also change and our personalities change, our needs change, our circumstances can change. And so uh, even sometimes how much time you have for different things can make a big difference. You know, if you have a really busy career and or young children or, you know, something like that, and you don't have a lot of time, then having two ongoing long-term romantic relationships might not be an option because they take up a lot of time. It's not, you know, sometimes we can barely be a good partner to one person, let alone to two people, because there's just not enough time to spend quality time and make sure that we take into consideration their feelings and needs and all of that. Uh, and so the same person, if they had more time, might be a good good fit for poly. But if they have less time, they might 
be better in a more monogamous relationship where they have one serious relationship that they need to have all of those higher levels of commitment and and uh, investment in and then have some more casual partners on the side that require less time and energy. Hmm. So it's a mix when you ask the question of like, how do you figure out? Well, I think knowing the lay of the land, kind of what are the options is the first step. And then kind of what are the key characteristics both the personality stuff and some of these more external constraints that can help you figure out which of those options is is best for you. It seems like there's a lot going on there. There's like the nature nurture piece of there's certain things that feel a little more um, innate and built in, whether it's in our DNA or ancestral or, you know, all those things. But then there's the, the nurture piece of what we saw with our parents, what we saw in the media, how open was our, were our, were our parents around sexuality? What were the examples that we saw? Um, I, I actually want to state a couple of things here to our listeners. Number one, we were talking about cheating earlier. I just want to say April and I have both cheated before. Um, so I'm not shaming any folks that have cheated. And this is how I know I'm monogamish. <laughs> yeah, she's right. Yeah, John, I'm raising John my raising hand, hand too. Yeah. No, yeah. Oh. Yeah, oh, like yeah. who's listening who's raising their hand right now? A lot of you. Um, I and, definitely... And I bet I've been cheated on, too. I've been cheated on a yes. lot. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's a ton. I've been cheated uh, on a little bit, but I cheated a lot in my early days before I discovered not mono- before I discovered that there was an ethical way to do non-monogamy, you know, while I was yeah. still in Macedonia and having these relationships with men, with women, and they all... Th- I was always trying to get them to open up. I all, all I think I had probably three or four partners that I dated for a significant or some amount of time where we could have some of these conversations. And I tried to have threesomes with every single one of them. And they all thought I was crazy. <laughs> hmm. They were like, no, you don't yeah. desire other people when you are in a relationship with someone. And I was like, but I do. Yeah. But, but that's not true for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that goes back to what, uh, Amy, you were saying earlier that we didn't really, um, kind of delve into, but I think it's it's critical when we're talking about this, the desiring other people. What we know from research is that 90 plus percent of people who are or have been in a long-term relationship desire other people, have fantasies, desires, and attractions for other people, 90 plus percent. So that is not something that we can't have. Like just because you're in a relationship with someone, just because you're in love or whatever, does not mean that or the vast majority of us will have at least the occasional fantasy or the occasional attraction or the occasional desire for someone else. You absolutely can not act on it. You can choose not to act on it. And the reality is that there are many people who, you know, maybe ideally they would like to have a little something, something on the side every now and then, but for whatever reasons decide that that's really not that important or that desire is not that strong or not that frequent or whatever. And that what they're giving up is worth whatever they're getting out of their monogamous relationship. And so it doesn't end up being such a difficult thing to kind of be in for long periods of time. Whereas for other people who might have those desires and attractions more frequently or more strongly, or, you know, it's just something that is much harder for them to suppress. And they kind of often feel the need to express it in some way. And so the, yeah, ideally you would express it in a way that is ethical and your partner is on board. But yeah, I I definitely didn't have that option when I was growing up. 
Some people get off to, to cheating too. The the thrill of it, the secrecy. I personally, it stresses me the fuck out. But it's for some people, it's. I mean, it's it's something that they actually might enjoy. And and I'm not saying that. I'm not saying go ahead and cheat everyone. It's great. And I'm not saying everyone should be monogamish either. Uh, I just want to really. Um, just honor all the diversity of sexuality in the way that we relate or in relationships. Um, so okay, your course has a lots of information. Our listeners just love some applicable tips. I know you have this all in your course there, but, and, and 10 times more. Can you give our listeners just kind of like a couple of your top tips that say they wanted to open up? Um, what would be just a couple quick top tips? I'm going to start with one, go to the course and <laughs> don't try to do it on <laughs> your own right away without doing your research. Um, but yo, do you have anything that you want to share around that? I would definitely say don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to wing it. I think, and I see a lot of people trying to wing it, right? They hear a little bit about, you know, maybe they'll hear this podcast or they'll see some friends. Oh, they're open. So we're going to try being open too. And often doing it on your own is a recipe for disaster after disaster after disaster, because we don't know how to do this. We're, nobody trains us how to do this. There are no role models for how to do this. We don't, uh, we're not taught the basic communication kind of strategies and skills that we need in order to navigate it well. We don't even know what to have conversations about necessarily. You know, people be like, oh, yeah, let's be open. And then I have one idea of, of what that means. And my partner might have a completely different idea of what that means. And we end up hurting each other and everybody else involved. So I think it's really a good idea to take a you know, it doesn't have to be my course, but do something. Read a couple of books, work with a coach, a non-monogamy coach, you know, take this course or take some other course. So get do, do your research on what are the different, first of all, what are the different options? What are you two going for? What is your sort of ideal and, and why? And then and then the next step is to kind of create some of those more specific agreements and boundaries that you are going to start with. I would say don't think that whatever you come up with initially is going to be your set of rules and agreements forever and ever. I always say treat that as an experiment, as a starting point that you're going to test out, see if that works for you and your partner, and then decide whether you need to recalibrate it in some way. <clears throat> I would say oh, always, maybe not for everybody, people are different in terms of how quickly they want to go into this. Like some people are ready to dive straight in. Some people just want to dip their toes in. But generally speaking, for the majority of folks who are just coming into this, I would say take it relatively slow. Don't try to do the thing that is like the craziest thing that you can think of or the most threatening thing for you and your partner that you can think of start with the thing that is the least threatening maybe you know where what's the lowest hanging fruit so not the anal gangbang right away yeah exactly Dang. that's what i was thinking not the <laughs> anal gangbang like don't start with the anal gangbang damn work it up, work up to the anal gangbang um, <laughs> and also just generally i think is a good idea to work up to some of these things even in even in monogamy, you know, don't have anal on the first date. You know, save <laughs> anal for I don't know month five or year three. I don't know a special occasion, not after a big Indian food dinner or something. <laughs> well, that's a whole other separate yeah. conversation. <laughs> but yes, definitely not after a big Indian dinner. But just huh. this idea of pacing experiences, like sexual experiences, so that it, you don't cram everything all in one. 
and or all in a short period of time that prolongs the desire that prolongs the excitement that prolongs like the adventurousness and the mystery whether it's between just two people who are in a monogamous relationship and trying to kind of have a hot passionate, sexy lifestyle for a longer period of time, or if we're talking about opening up. And so very often, like with heterosexual couples, or sort of straight-ish couples, but male and and female uh, together, what you find is it's more threatening for the man, if he, especially if he's straight, to have another man in the scenario, right? So often, you know, people will start with a threesome with another woman, especially if the woman in in that couple is somewhat bi or bi-curious. And so that can be kind of the lowest hanging fruit. Okay, so do that once, see how it goes. Maybe do that a couple of times. Then maybe think about, okay, let's have a couple or let's try a threesome with another guy. And again, you don't have to do everything all at once. Like the first threesome you have with with that woman doesn't have to be full penetration. Maybe just do oral and and leave it at that. And then you can work up to penetration the next time. And so those kinds of baby steps where you get a chance to learn and see what your partner is like in those scenarios, how they behave, how, what are the kinds of conversations you have afterwards? If there was something that bothered you, how do they respond to that? If there's something that bothered them, how do you respond to that? So you kind of get to learn each other over time and, make sure that you can be good partners for each other as you're progressing, as you, as you might be doing things that are a little more risque and a little more, you know, threatening to an one of you. Uh, <laughs> and then so, one day, the anal gangbang. Mm-hmm. I'm going to work my way up to that <laughs> I'm going to get a trophy. My anal need a lot gangbang. of Uber loop for that one. Yes. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about your course because you have, and you have other offerings, including open, smarter, social. So we would love for you to tell us about your course, what people can expect. Please talk about some of your other offerings and also how folks can find you and work with you. Do I have to come to NYU and take one of the courses? <laughs> you know, these days, NYU wouldn't let you do it unless you're an NYU student ah, because of COVID and all. Yeah. <laughs> no, I know. It used to be you, you could have people audit or guests come in easily. You would just sign them in. But nowadays with COVID, it's, uh, it's pretty yeah, challenging. Okay. Luckily, we have Zoom and all the other platforms these days. So people don't have to necessarily be in New York at all. So my course is... It's called Open Smarter, and it is a course that, as I mentioned, kind of helps people figure out what is the lay of the land of the monogamy to to full non-monogamy, all the different options, and I try to simplify them. I mean, the yeah, into kind of fewer categories or or d- dimensions and distinctions that people can kind of try to orient themselves by, and then we go through some of these personality characteristics that are really key in determining where we're we're going to land, especially in terms of how non-monogamous are we as individuals, like how wired for our own non-monogamy or monogamy we are, and then how wired are we to handle our partners monogamy and non-monogamy. So things like jealousy and attachment styles and, you know, emotional regulation skills, all that has more to do with how well can you handle your partner being with other people as opposed to do you want to be with other people yourself? And so kind of 
teaching people about some of those things. It has all these personality quizzes that people can take to figure out where they fall on these personality traits and that guides them into figuring out what might be the right type of relationship based on those personality. We'll also go over things like values and other constraints so that people have a overall kind of idea of all of the different factors that go into determining their success with these various forms of relationship types. And then the course also has a kind of self-improvement component. So there's on one hand, the self-discovery component of like, who am I? What am I like right now? But then there's also, it's not like that thing is set in stone. So wherever you are at any given point in time, that could change if we put some time, energy and effort and resources into trying to trying to change. And so there's a bunch of exercises and, um, you know, practical kind of things that people can do to and resources and all that, that they can go and, uh, you know, create some meaningful change in their life if they're not happy with where they're at at the moment. Mm-hmm. It's a great course. People love it. I taught it live the first time when I, when it first came out and uh, people absolutely loved it. We have So what people get when they get the course, they get the recordings from the live as well, from the live classes that we had. There's a bunch of videos that were pre-recorded. There are all of the quizzes that they can take. Then they have um, they get access to our monthly Open Smarter socials. So those are two hour Zoom events that um, we kind of do on different topics each month. And people can come in from anywhere in the world and uh, discuss with me and then also do breakout rooms so they can meet other people who are doing these different kind of forms of relationship styles and chat with them. There are, so there's a kind of a community aspect of it. There is um, uh, office hours. There's an after party after the event where that are specifically for open smarter members and not open to the public because the Open Smarter Social is open to the public as well. But then there are a couple of these events that are specific to the Open Smarter students. And yeah, it's a really beautiful kind of community of people, non-judgmental, accepting from people who are doing different types of things, different types of relationships. But we all get to learn from each other and kind of help each other out in uh, doing it better. And do you have a website, Dr. Jana? I know you're at Dr. Jana, D-R-Z-H-A-N-A on Instagram. What's your website? DrJana.com. So D-R-Z-H-A-N-A.com. Yeah, people can find the course and the events there as well. Well, thank you. You are such a wealth of knowledge and information and also the way it's presented, I feel like is digestible and easy. It's not overwhelming. And it seems like if you have curiosity about this topic, Dr. John is going to be someone that you can uh, really learn how to do it in a way that will be good for you and your in your relationship and your partnership. So thank you for all of the wisdom and sharing mm-hmm. your uh, your expertise with us in the research. I love myself some research <laughs> Yay. and thank uh, you. learning more about non-monogamy. So I will say that uh, I'm definitely 100% monogamous to wine. Wine and me are monogamous. You cheated on me with wine? Yeah, sorry, too. So, uh, but non-monogamy is, is, 
for you know for those tequila drinkers out there just try mm. some wine too mm. and guess what margins wine fall release amy and i have loved margins wine for ages but we uh, didn't have wine to talk about for a while but now we do because megan bell are women owned and operated vintner as they call them that stomps on the grapes they uh make wine here in santa cruz and get the grapes from underrepresented regions and they're pretty pretty rare interesting uh different varietals so fall release end of august you just have to go to marginswine.com to sign up so you get the newsletter and then you can uh, the there's an online shop to buy and guess what if you buy three or more bottles you'll save 10 percent that's using code no that's not the code the code is shameless sex 10 and if you want to save 15 percent on six or more bottles just use the code shameless sex 15 y'all so yeah Monogamy, non-monogamy, polyamory, tequila, wine, tertiary, <laughs> anal gangbangs. We covered it all today. Uh, and Dr. Jana, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and how do you say uh, cheers in Macedonian? Nazdravie. Nastravia, Nastravia in Russian and Nastravia in Macedonian. Yes, and why do I sound Italiano too? <laughs> we don't know. It's the wine. All right. It must be the wine. Well, thank you yeah. so much for having me. This is fun. Yeah, we'd love to have you. We'll have you back because I know you have a lot more to teach. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, yes. And check out Dr. Jana on Instagram or at drjana.com, y'all. We will see you next Tuesday for another episode of Shameless Sex. I'm just going to do one more call to action, Amy, before you hit stop. Go ahead. Review us on iTunes. Just search for us in the podcast app. Search for Shameless Sex. Go to review. Five stars. You can say awesome or I like Amy's boobs or I've never seen them, but I want to. Or you can say I love April and her winisms. All right, y'all. We love you. We'll see you next Tuesday. Ciao for now. Want to learn more? Go to shamelesssex.com. And for 15% off of some of our favorite sex toys, use code shamelesssex at purepleasureshop.com.